We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have the privilege this morning of gathering together, hearing your word, hearing you speak to us through the Bible. And as we hear your word, we hear you speaking to us, and we meet with Jesus. We pray this morning that Jesus would come off the pages of the scriptures and would become real to us and would become real in our lives day by day as we live for you. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I speak, give me the words to say. Father, help us all to to listen, to hear you speak, and to respond, or to respond in the way that you want us to do so. In his name we pray. Amen. Life is often described by people as a journey. We go on a journey from one place to another through life. And sometimes when we're on that journey in life, sometimes we stop. And maybe we ask ourselves the question, where am I going? Where am I on this journey of life? What's the purpose of it? Maybe if you're a Christian this morning, you'll ask a more specific question about your walk following Jesus. And we'll say, where am I in my walk with the Lord? Am I living the life that he wants me to do? How is it going? Am I, have I somehow gone off the path and am I going a different direction? Have I missed the path somehow that Jesus wants me to walk on? Sometimes we ask this question because when we look at the reality of our life and where we are, and we compare it with perhaps the ideal in our heads, the dream in our heads, or we compare it with the life that we're told we should live as Christians, somehow those two things, they don't match up. Perhaps we think that we've missed God's best. Or we look at the past and we think that we've failed him, which means that we're not going to be able to fulfill what God wants for us in the future. We love the Lord. We want to follow him. We want to serve him. Sometimes we get to points in our life where we we just don't think that we're on the right track. Well, this morning in our passage, as we see Peter, as we see Jesus meeting with Peter, I want us to put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Yes, Peter is the great apostle, the great church leader, but he is an ordinary Christian with us too. There was a natural ending to John's Gospel at chapter 20. Those verses 30 and 31 were the key verses for our series. And some people think that perhaps chapter 21 is not necessary. Maybe it was written later and it was added in by somebody else. But I think chapter 21 is a real, really good fitting conclusion to the Gospel of John. It's a good conclusion, a good epilogue, if you like, to the introduction, the prologue at the beginning of John's Gospel. John deals with, with some unanswered questions perhaps people will have about Peter. What about Peter, this guy who denied Jesus at his trial? What about his death? It's thought that Peter's probably dead by the time John has written this gospel. And what about John, this rumor? Will he, will he go on living? During our series, we've met with Jesus and the disciples as he has appeared to them in his resurrection body. And now John, the gospel writer, he's given us evidence of Jesus' death, resurrection, and now it's over to us. We've heard it, we've heard the truth, we've heard the proclamation. And John says, these, these things are written that you may believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, 
and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And so, if for you this morning, you are someone who does believe that you have received that life in Jesus' name, chapter 21 is, is a kind of, so what next chapter? What difference will it make to my life now? If you don't believe, if you wouldn't call yourselves a Christian this morning, then this chapter is more evidence of Jesus, who he is and what he's done and his power. It's more teaching about what he wants to do once he has gone to heaven, the world that he's leaving behind. It tells us what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes as we meet with Jesus again this morning. And let's see what he has to say to us as we think about what it means to follow him. As Peter is reflecting on his journey, his walk with the Lord, he has a lot to deal with in his recent past. And so for the past that lies behind us, let's have a think about what Jesus says. The disciples have been through a lot in the last week or so. They've seen their Lord, their Savior, the Messiah, crucified, dead and buried. And all the shock and surprise and emotion involved in that. The one they believed to be the Messiah, to the one who would come to set up his kingdom, has gone. But then three days later, he rises from the dead and he appears to them in the locked room. And all the surprise and the emotion that's involved in that. So what is going on in their heads? Jesus has proclaimed peace to them. He's given them the Holy Spirit. He's cast their doubts away. But I'm sure they're left with lots of questions. Peter and several of the other disciples were sitting around. We looked at this last week at the beginning of chapter 21. And you can imagine they're looking at each other and there's so much to say, but no one knows how to say it. So, as Andrew shared with us, Peter pipes up first and he says, I'm going out to fish. And while they fish, they meet with Jesus. He performs a great miracle for them as they catch a load of fish and they come and have breakfast with him on the shore. But what about this guy, Peter? What is going on in his mind? There they are sitting around the coal fire that Jesus has made, eating breakfast, perhaps talking, perhaps not. But for Peter, I'm sure there is a bit of tension in the air. Because remember the last time that Peter was stood around a charcoal fire was at Jesus' trial. And those who he was stood with said, aren't you, aren't you one of those disciples too? And he denied it, no, I'm not. So Peter is sitting there by the fire, eating breakfast, and those memories are, are popping into his mind. The big elephant in the room, or the elephant by the sea, more precisely. What about Peter? What about his big three fat denials of Jesus? Hey, Jesus, what are you going to do with this guy? The one who was so eager to follow you. The one who said, I'll lay down my life for you, and yet denied it straight away. What is Jesus' response going to be to Peter? Will he forgive him? Will he give him another chance to be a part of his mission team? Or has he blown it? Has he missed his chance? Well, verse 15, when they were had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? You can imagine, imagine Peter with a mouthful of fish, lifting up his head, looking at Jesus, and then looking at those around him, because it's clear that other disciples are present, at least at this part of the conversation. The bubble has been popped, and now Peter has to face up to the situation, his actions. Do you love me more than these, Jesus asks. He doesn't say, do you love me more than you love the disciples or love fishing, but do you love me more than you love more than the other disciples love me? Peter's addressed as Simon, son of John, his birth name, the name he had before he met Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know, do you love me? Can I now again call you Peter, the rock, the one on whom I want to build my church? Where are you? How are you? Do you love me more than these? Are you going to be the one I can call to be the leader once again? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter's full aware of his mistakes. He knows his wrong and he is repentant. He confesses his sin and he says, Lord, yes, you know, you know that, that, that I love you. This is true. And so Jesus' response is, feed my lambs. Peter's forgiven. Jesus knows that Peter loves him and so gives him this new job. But wait, that's not the end of the conversation because Jesus asks him again, do you love me? This time, perhaps Peter pauses as he thinks, well, does Jesus not believe me? What can I do? What can I say to try and convince him that my love really is genuine? Yes, Lord, you know that I, that I love you. But then again, and we don't know the gap between each question. I don't suppose it was one after the other. Maybe there were some pauses. Maybe there was something else. But Jesus asks him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows how Peter was feeling. And he knows that this third time of asking hurts. Jesus I'm sure, is asking these questions in his usual loving and compassionate way, wanting the best for Peter, but also wanting him to come to the, to understand the sense of reality, the what's going on here, for him to understand the seriousness of his commitment. Yes, Peter's messed up, he's forgiven, but yet he's going to be given a grand task to lead God's people, to feed the sheep. Peter, well, he's heard, as John has told us, because this is the third time being asked. Peter has the embarrassment knowing that three times being asked this question relate to the three denials that he, that he made. He's convicted of his sin and the, he also knows the pain of what it's done for the relationship between him and Jesus. And so he affirms, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says a third time, Feed my sheep. And you can imagine perhaps that Jesus puts his arm around Peter. And Peter looks at Jesus and breathes a sigh of relief. I can't count the number of times that I have made great and enthusiastic promises that I would serve the Lord wholeheartedly, that I would lay down my life for Jesus 
only to find that the next day I failed to keep that promise even just a little bit. And I guess most of us too can think of times when we feel like we've failed the Lord in one way or another. Maybe it's through things that we've said and, and done. Maybe through things that we haven't said and haven't done which we should have. And those moments are painful. There's guilt. Maybe you can think of specific events in your Christian life recently or maybe a long time ago that have left a blockage, a barrier in your relationship with Jesus. You're not sure that he loves you. You're not sure that he forgives you. You're not sure that you're good enough to keep serving him. You're not sure that that he has a plan for your life. But this morning, friends, we can look at Peter and Jesus and we can see Jesus' response to Peter. That there is forgiveness. Even if you deny his existence for the one who comes back in repentance and faith, Jesus forgives. So for the past which lies behind us, Jesus forgives. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, however you feel about the sin or anything perhaps in the past that you feel is stopping you and preventing you from moving forward with Jesus, there's forgiveness and there's hope. Don't let the past keep you from living in the present and don't let it stop you from moving forward. Don't let it create a barrier between you and Jesus, but bring it to him. Allow him to ask you the questions three times if that's what's needed for you to to feel the intensity, to understand the seriousness of sin, but to then confess it, to bring it to the Lord who is faithful, who will forgive. Jesus forgives because of the cross. We are now post-cross, post-resurrection. It's forgiven because Jesus has paid the price in full. If you are not a Christian here this morning, maybe you've been to other services in this series, you've met with Jesus in the Bible, maybe you've heard about Jesus through your friends and family, Maybe you're somebody who thinks there are things in my past that mean I could never come to Jesus. All this morning, that's not true because Jesus welcomes all. There's nothing in our past that's too bad for him. The cross is sufficient and the resurrection proves it because Jesus rose from the dead to show us that it's all done, it's all finished. The way open to God is now freely available for all those who want to come and so come to Jesus this morning. For the past which lies behind us, Jesus freely forgives. But what about the future which lies ahead of us? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Jesus' commission to Peter is for him to, to pastor the flock, to take care of God's people. John chapter 10 speaks a lot of that metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd. Jesus being the shepherd, the one who cares and tends for the, for the flock. The flock represents his people, those who love him and believe in him and follow him. Jesus is the great shepherd. Peter's now being called to, to be an under-shepherd, to take care of the sheep when Jesus is gone. 
And as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you see Jesus rise up to be the leader. He preaches the gospel on that first day, that Pentecost day, unashamed, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Peter's a changed man. He's a new man, serving God fully. But this time he's not doing it in his own strength. This time he has the power of the Spirit and he walks by the grace of God. And so for us, we're not all called to be like Peter at all. And as we will see in a moment, that's a good thing. But for some, we will be called to be shepherds of the flock. Leaders of the church. We're called to shepherds, to feed and to take care of those who love and follow the Lord Jesus. One reason we have membership in the church is so that we know who those people are, that we can love and care for you. That is the responsibility of of the leaders that God has put in place. But each of us in different ways will have a commission to, to serve the Lord, to serve one another, to fulfill a purpose and a plan that God has for us in our lives. Now, unfortunately, the Lord doesn't often write that in the sky for us, so it's clear. But he has given us plenty of guidelines and wisdom in the Bible of what it means to follow Jesus. He's gifted us. He's given us personalities. He's put us in a certain place where he wants us to live and speak for him. But for Peter, his commission as well as being a shepherd, it will mean something a bit more specific than that. Have a look at verse 18. Jesus says to him, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus told Peter that his commission would be to follow him, but follow him to death. Jesus indicated the kind of death that Peter would would die, a death that would glorify God. Peter, who in the past was so eager to lay down his life for Jesus, yet failed, now hears that he'll have another chance to give his life for the Lord. When you were younger, you would dress yourself and you would go where you wanted. But when you're older, someone else will dress you and will lead you where you do not want to go. This is not a nice proverb, but this is a description of a crucifixion. You'll stretch out your hands. Somebody will dress you, will tie you to a wooden beam and will lead you to a place of execution. Jesus... Peter would glorify Jesus through his willingness to give his life for the sake of Jesus. Jesus' commission for you most probably won't be for you to give up your life in that way. But he does call us to give up our lives, to lay down personal ambitions, to lay aside reputation to give of our time and of our resources and of our gifts. 
for the future which lies ahead of us, Jesus commissions us. Peter had learned his lesson about the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And we too, if we want to follow Jesus, there there is a cost. Before we make those great promises, we need to understand what it may mean. It means that we are following Jesus and not someone else and not ourselves. But we know that when we follow Jesus, this brings great glory to him, great joy to our hearts and great reward in heaven. But friends, don't let the cost of following Jesus stop you from following Jesus. We can't live our Christian lives in our own strength. We need his grace and his spirit. Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is the Messiah, who did die upon the cross for us. He demands nothing from us to come to him. But he does demand everything from us to live for him. And so let's live for him, to glorify his name, to live in such a way that we are pointing other people to him, that they too can see Jesus, that they too can see how amazing he is and who he is and what he has done. So let's not let the past keep us from following Jesus. Let's not let the future keep us. And let's not let those around us or the circumstances around us Either keep us from following Jesus. After Jesus had said to Peter, follow me, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? You can imagine Peter and Jesus are walking along the beach at this point, and Peter looks and he sees this other disciple who may well have been in the earshot, who may have heard all that Jesus had promised will happen to Peter. What about him? As you read through John's Gospel, you, you get this impression that there's a little rivalry between Peter and John. They're both friends of Jesus. They're both on the inner circle with him. They were both on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus in his glory. But yet, on one hand, you are Peter, the outspoken one. Act first, think later. John, perhaps quieter, contemplator. Peter, the preacher, John, the writer. Peter, the pastor, John, the prophet. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is that person? Well, he reveals his identity for us in verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies to these things who wrote them down. This is John. He's written down his first-hand account, his eyewitness account of all that happens. He writes down the stories and he shares the stories with those whom he's with. And they testify and they say, we know that his testimony is true. And so Peter asks, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return. What is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus says, basically, mind your own business. Whatever happens to John, it's not of your concern. You must follow me. Peter has a task, a calling, a commission from Jesus. 
But yet his first concern is, what about this guy behind me? You can imagine him thinking, well, hey, if I'm going to die for you, Jesus, what about this guy? Will he have something better than me? Or maybe not as good as me? John, the beloved disciple. Jesus has a plan for him too. And however you compare that with Peter's, it doesn't matter. Because Peter has a commission from the Lord Jesus. John has his. They will be different. They will lead in different directions. But neither is better or worse than the other. Both are needed. Both are necessary. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? It may be the case that although, Peter, you will die, he may go on living. But for you, you must follow me. If you note, John takes up an opportunity here to correct a rumor that was going around that because of this, John was not going to die. But as John says, that's not what Jesus says. But friends, comparing and contrasting one another, Christian lives, ministries, successes and failures, or gifts and opportunities, it's dangerous and so unhelpful. We're not in competition against one another. We're in partnership together as we serve the Lord. But yet, how easy is it to do? We look at what the Lord's doing in other people's lives and we say, why isn't that happening for me? We complain because other Christians aren't suffering as much as we do. We boast that we are more successful than those around us. We judge because other Christians don't seem to put as much effort into their Christian service as we do. We can look around and we can see what's going on in other people's lives and in the church. And that stops us. It hinders us. It prevents us from moving forward, from working together. Of course, it's not wrong for us to look at one another's lives, for us to share and teach and rebuke and correct and help and encourage and to build one another up. But when we do that in pride, or when we're judgmental, then these things distract us from the path. We become more concerned about what God's doing in someone else's life than what he's doing for us. For the circumstances which are around us, Jesus is in charge. Not us. For John, he did live a long life. He did die. He wrote the gospel. He wrote three letters. He had the privilege of seeing the visions which he wrote down in the book of Revelation. Peter had his mission. But they were both so important for the growth of the church. And so as we look around Morden Road Church this morning, what about us? It's wonderful to see such variety and diversity in ages and in ethnicities and in languages and in gifts and all the different varieties that are expressed in our church. And that's good because we're the body of Christ, gifted in different ways to do a job that only you can do. And that's so encouraging because God has gifted you. He's given you the personality, the experience of your life. He's put you in the place where you are. Because it's a job that only you can do. And so let's not say I want to do his or her job. Let's not do his or her job for them. But let's fulfill our commission for the Lord and allow him to lead and guide them in theirs. 
and say this morning, friends, let's not let the past keep us from moving forward. Let's come to Jesus who welcomes us with open arms to receive forgiveness in him, allow him to mend brokenness. Let's look to the future knowing that we follow him with his strength, by his spirit, by his grace. We don't need to fear the cost. And let's not look around us, but work together with those. Let's fulfill the commission that the Lord Jesus has given to us to serve him, to make him known in our world. Because we want to see the church grow. We want to see Jesus glorified. Let's take a few moments just quietly by ourselves to think and pray. I hope the Lord has been speaking to you this morning, and so let's speak to him. If there needs to be a time of confession and repentance, then let's do that, and let's receive his forgiveness. If the cost of being a follower of Jesus is putting you off, then again, bring that to the Lord. Let's have a time where we can refocus on Jesus and and follow him. If you're not a Christian here this morning, then then use the time to, to read the story again. Think of the evidence of Jesus. Think of the forgiveness that he offers to you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful that you love us, you love us so much, that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that as he came and died upon a cross to take away our sin. We can come to you. We can approach you, our holy and majestic God, freely, because our sin has been paid for. And through our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus, we are we're united to, to you. We're in relationship with our living God. And Lord, we are constantly amazed that no matter what we have done, the number of times that we fail, the things that we have said and done or not said and done in the past, which linger with, it, with us, that create a barrier between us and you, Lord, we, we want to bring those things before you. And we are sorry. Please forgive us, and we thank you that you do forgive us. Lord, help us to be the followers of, of Jesus that you want us to be. We need your help. We need your strength. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you walk with us. You're right there beside us. Thank you for the commission that you give to us as a church, that you give to us as individuals. Lord, may we walk humbly before you to to save you, to glorify you, to share you with others. Everyone needs compassion, and we certainly do. Lord, let your mercy fall on us. Lord, take us as you find us in all our fears and failures. Fill our lives again. And Lord, as we give our lives to follow you, we surrender to you, our Saviour the one 
who can move the mountains. Let's stand and sing this song.